faithfulness towards his people. If you have a copy of God's word, join with me this morning into Romans. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter third, chapter 8. I said chapter 30. Chapter 8, looking at verse 30. Romans chapter 8, looking at verse 30. I'm going to start reading at verse 26 to give more context of what we're going to be dealing with today. But it's going to be in Romans chapter 8. Starting at verse 26. And our focus is going to be on this morning. It's going to be... Um, the second part in verse 30. But let me read God's word uh, to us. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers verse 30 I keep verse for this morning and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified let me uh, pray for us, and let's get right to it this morning. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for another Lord's Day. Lord, um, as I mentioned earlier, there is no better place to be, to be here in your presence with your people. Lord, what the sweetness, Lord, the taste of heaven is that what we see right now. So we thank you, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to gather here this morning. Lord, for many have been away because of sickness because of work, and for many of various things. But Lord, you have brought us all back in one piece this morning. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to worship you this morning. So go before us as we hear your word preached at this time. Let us be attentive to your word, Lord. Let our ears be ready to receive your word. So help me, Lord, to preach your word faithfully. Give me the strength, give me the wisdom, Lord, to preach your word, Lord, that edifies your people. Lord, if it's not of you, Lord, remove it from us at this time, Lord. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless us with your word. Strengthen us in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. During the Reformation, the Reformation was around the, what, 16th, 15th century, a time when the, um, the Oak War, it was the Protestant Reformation, that the Catholic Church was the biggest church in the world at this time. And the Catholic Church wanted things their way. If they didn't have it their way, they would kill people, right? They would exile people and burn people at the stake. And so Martin Luther and many people went against the Catholic Church and said, these things you're doing are not biblical. They felt like the Catholic Church was preaching a different gospel. That man can be saved by works. One of the things about the Catholic Church, they believe, is that you do these certain things, one can be have right standing within the church. And it's thing called purgatory. You pay money toward purgatory, you can get somebody to heaven. The more money you give, the better chance they get out. So all these things were happening within the Catholic Church. So the Protestant Reformation said, no, this thing is not right. We're not saved by what we do. One verse that kind of speaks about this is Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Listen to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or any angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For, I, for, for am I not now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But in Paul's day, it was a group called the Judaizers teaching the same things about works salvation. 
the Catholic Church mentioned that you do these certain things, you can be saved. You do all these things, you can be saved. The Judaizers said, well, you go kick these laws, you can be saved. And many more denominations do today, even a denomination like a Church of Christ. You do these things, you can be saved. Family, that's a different gospel. If we can do these things and be saved, again, what was the person for Christ came? First reason for Christ coming. Christ came because we couldn't do the work to be saved. Christ came because he was the only one can do the works of the Father. The one, the only one can be saved and truly can be Christ. So yes, man is justified by works. But they're not our works, right? It's the works of Christ. It's Christ's works that save us. Our faith in Christ that really saved us. So today, I know many of you have heard about the word justification related to the Catholic Church. But some of you might not even have heard the word justification. But this sermon is not going to be about the Protestant Reformation in the Catholic Church. And many times you hear about justification and kind of focus it on it, which is a really good it shows you a picture how someone in throughout history or some group throughout history have preached a different gospel. But justification and justify is particularly given to us as struggling weak Christians to hold on when we don't have anywhere else to turn. Justification is the good news in the heart of the struggling believer. Justification is, is the good news for those that are continually struggling with the flesh and temptation that, Lord, I said I wasn't going to do this again, but I did it again, over and over again. Justification is for you and me that are struggling every single day, saying, Lord, I'm not going to do this anymore, but we do it again. So as today, as we enjoy the great things throughout the Reformation, we enjoy what happened in the Reformation as Martin Luther done. But family, justification by faith in Christ Jesus, it deals with the struggling heart of the believer on a day-to-day -day basis. You know how every time, normally we hear the word justification deal with a history lesson. But justification deal with the reality of right now. The reality of right now in the life of the believer. But I will mention more about the Reformation, but the focus today, the purpose today, is the enriching the believer of the word of justification of the struggling heart of the believer that for us, that we're not alone. So we're going to do it in three points today. He justified us. It's the title. First point, God justified us despite our brokenness in 30B. Second point, what does it mean for God justifying us in 30B? And the last point we're going to end off with, the reason why God justified us despite our brokenness in 30B. So jump point number one. God justified us despite our brokenness. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. The same ones that are called are now considered to be justified. Last week we talked about called, chosen last week. So the same one he called to himself, he called out of this world. These are believers. So these believers are given also not just as calling and predestination and foreknown. Now these believers are given the word justified. Paul is giving us all these things. Like if somebody's going to the market, right? You got your basket out. And they're putting all these items in your basket, putting watermelons in, cantaloupe. They're putting strawberries and blueberries, all these things in your basket in the, in the market. Like they're giving you all these things. Paul is giving the believer. All these great truths, not for head knowledge, family. He's giving these, these struggling Christians these truths at a pivotal time when they walk. It's a pivotal time when Paul mentioned that how he, the, 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 the moment he wanted to do right, he do wrong. It's the battle. So Paul gives us these truths in the midst of the struggling heart of the believer. So now we get the word justified now. These descriptions again are given to the life of the believer. This is not for unbeliever. When it, when it talks about earlier. And we know that for, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Who, who is this for? Together for good is for the believers. 
Hard times work together for our good. Difficult co-workers work together for our good. Kids work together for our good. Our cars breaking down work together for our good. All things work together for good. Every single moment that we see that we face, God has redeemed that moment for the believer for the good. So it's never a moment for us to try to cut somebody out of work. It's never a moment for us wanting to, to do things against the dishonor of the Lord. The Lord allows us to go through those moments for, for good. Yes, Brother Pence, the only one to wait this morning. For good. Everything we face in life is for our good as believers. So just a moment, just think about it right now. Something that you might think so bad in your life right now. Something that's happening right now in your life. Something you're struggling with internally. Just think about that for just a moment. What you might be struggling with internally right now. Now bring it together now, what it says here. What you just thought about and what you just said in your heart. God said all things work together for good. So whatever you just said, it works for good. Why are you telling us this? He's telling us this because as a believer, when we came to know Christ, we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By being a believer, God now is making us more and more like himself through sanctification. Even in our context today, again, the type of believer that Paul is giving these words of encouragement to is a believer that doesn't think he will ever break away from the struggles of the flesh. Family, don't just think this is a first century Romans letter to the Roman folks right beside the Colosseum. You know, this is for us to hear this morning. This is for you that have sin in your life. You feel like you will never break away from this particular sin. That this sin would never go away. I am praying. I'm seeking help. But it would never go away. Paul was saying that this is why I'm giving you this word for people like you. When this believer doesn't see the end of the tunnel with, the, with, with giving in to the flesh. The tunnel for like it's longer and longer. Oh, like, it's like I would never get out of here. Doesn't seem like the end of the tunnel is going to be coming anytime soon. But Paul is encouraging us that we don't have to wait to the end of the sun or tunnel to see the light. But it's already light in that tunnel. And it might not be bright as the sun, but it's just as beautiful as the sun. And that light is resonating in the light in the heart of the believer because the spirit is in our hearts. So again, God didn't save us to leave us to ourselves. Paul is encouraging the believer, like, this is what has happened. This is how you've been saved, that you have been foreknown, that you have been loved. Look how you've been saved. You have been predestined. God has put boundaries around that you will make it to the destination that I have set for you. Not only that, I called you to your, I called you out of this world to myself. The, the whole way of salvation let you know that God would not leave you. If he foreknown you, if he predestined you, he have called you, why do you think these struggles are going to be there forever? So Paul understands that even though he already gave us foreknown, predestined, just a, a call for us as believers, Paul knows we want more. We need more. So Paul could have stopped there and been done with this whole book of Romans, right? But Paul gives us more, said, no, no, that's not enough. I want to give you more and more and more so you will never have an excuse to turn to the flesh and feel like God has given up on you. So he gives us justified today. That's what Paul said earlier. Paul said, thanks be to God who saved him and give him a new mind to serve God despite the weakness of the flesh. So our salvation in Christ is what should hold us when struggling. So my question for us this morning, what did Christ accomplish in our lives? What did Christ accomplish in our lives? 
Family, he saved us to himself forever. And a lot of times we get our minds so fixated just on heaven that Christ saved us, we're going to get heaven, praise the Lord. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. It's not what he just saved us to give us heaven. He also saved us to let us know that he's getting rid of the flesh. All the things in our lives that we're devoted to our cell phone, the Lord is saving us away from ourselves and saving us to himself. We came into this world making everything about us. And I still struggle with that, right, in a conversation. Want to make it about me. Where did that come from? It comes from all of us still wanting things to be about us. God is saving us from that. One day we'll be so far redeemed and sanctified that we would never make anything else about us and everything will be about God's glory. But we're not there yet. Because right now, we want some of that glory that belongs to God. That's why we want things to be about us. We want people to see us. We want people to, to notice us. We want people to do these things because we don't want God to get all the glory. We want some of that glory ourselves. And God said, no, everything about you shall be for my glory. You should point everybody to me. Your own heart should be pointed to me. So Christ saved us to heaven, right? He's going to give us heaven. He also saved us away from ourselves and to himself. Even in this world right now, as we live this world on this earth, Christ is saving us from all the things that we want to worship within our ourselves. It's about Christ doing this. He's going to make us that one new man. Again, last week we focused on calling us that he called us to follow him. He gave us a new heart to want to follow him. Well, justifying us has two components to it as well. We will talk about them shortly, but us know, knowing that God justifies us, that we get further assurance that God would not condemn us when things doesn't go the way we want it to go. Christ saved us by his grace, and he would keep us by his grace. So by Christ justifying us is the good news for the trillion of soul. It comes out of the grace he gives to us. Not based on, on, on us, on our works, but based on the Father. So I know you might be asking the question, question, Creston, that what is justifying? What is justification? What is this? You said it's so good, and I want what you're saying right now. I, I, I love this word here, but what does this word mean? This word comes from legality. It deals with legal matters. But the word is very important. Before I get into the definition, let me say what Martin Luther said about this word. The articles of justification must be sounded in all in our ears constantly because the frailty of our flesh would not permit us to take hold of it per, uh, uh, perfectly and to believe it with all of our heart. Let me say this again. The articles of justification must be sounded in our ears Constantly. We should be saying justification every day, constantly. Because the fruit of our flesh would not permit us to take hold of it perfectly, to believe it with all of our hearts. Why is he saying this? Why is he saying we should be saying justification every day? Because we're so quick to condemn ourselves every day. Justification was more, was important to Martin Luther because it was important to Paul. Family, it should be important to us. A lot of our depression and anxiety that we struggle with because we don't rehearse justification over and over again of what we have in Christ. So consider this word today to be very encouraging as we turn to the definition of this word in point number two. What does it mean for us, for God justifying us? What does it mean? To understand what justify means, we must first ask, is this word justify used anywhere else in the scriptures? Then as we find it in scriptures, we need to figure out the context. How is it used? Is it used this way, that way? How many different ways is the word used? We need to understand the context of this word. So first, let's see how many times this word is used in the Bible. Well, in the ESV, I think it's quoted 40 times in the Bible, the word justify. Not justification, which is the same word comes from it. Just justified is used about 40 times in the Bible. 
35 times in the New Testament. 35 times in the New Testament. Let's look at a couple of these verses. Not all the verses, a couple of these verses here this morning. <clears throat> Justify, we see it first in Romans 3. We read it earlier. Then what advantage have the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful, that their faithfulness nullified the faithfulness of God? By no means, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. We see here the word, the Jews are justified by believing in God's word. We also jump down to Romans 3, verse 24. We see the word justified used. Start in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now we see justified is given God's given to us by God's grace. It's not earned by us. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God's grace. Another instance of this word uh, justified is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, but let me start at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous would not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So we see here, justified as Jews in many different places. Here in verse in 1 Corinthians 6, that the unrighteous would not make it to heaven, but the justified or the righteous will make it to heaven. So the justified righteous will make it to heaven. They receive justified and they just, or they receive this justification by, by grace. By believing in this justification, you are saved. We can continue going. A couple more here. Romans 5. Verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. How do you get justification? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This justification brings about peace with God. Romans 5, 16 and 17. talks about the justification. And I can go on and on. The last one I want to quote is. A.W. Pink quotes this verse as well. 1 Timothy 3, 16. We are told that the incarnated son was justified in or by the spirit. That is to say, he was publicly vindicated at his resurrection, exonerated from the blasphemy charges which the Jews laid against him. So we see this word justified has used. I just quoted by about five or six verses the word justified has been used. And we saw a lot of things related to this word. That by having justified, you have God's grace. How you receive it justified is by faith. We see there's no distinction in receiving this, receiving this justification. There's no distinction in this, Jew or Gentile. That by holding on to God's word, you can be saved, right? This was just justified. So what is this word getting at? Based upon all the things I just mentioned, the word is diakia, diakia, oh, jack that up, y'all. Diakio, diakio. It's the word mean justify or declare righteous. Put the right with, show to be right. And you guys have noticed, the word justify is the same word for righteous. It's the same word. Justified is the verb. Justification is a noun. Or righteous can be a noun. Justifying is a participle. All of them come from the root word just, meaning to be right. So it's simple. 
To be just, it means to be right, to be righteous. It's a legal word within legality. So a person that is righteous or just in the law is a person that is innocent. They're innocent within the law. We've probably heard this within catechism. What is justification? Justification is God forgiving sinners and declaring him to them to be righteous. A person that has their sins forgiven is no longer guilty. So the same legal word in the Romans day they would use this word as a person that justified, a person that be right before Caesar. But now this word now is used within the Christian church. It's a legal word of someone that might have had charges against them, but now they have been made right. They're pronounced to be righteous. So now we have several passages that helps us understand and justify them. For those that are justified, now they are considered to be right. The grace made them right. How you receive is justified is by faith. To be right, all these things in these verses played a role in this being right. So if it deal with God's grace, deal with God's faith, if there was a gift of God in this, it sounds like what we're leading up to is that that God has made an unrighteous people just. God has made an unrighteous people righteous. So God must have justified an unrighteous people. You might be saying, Chris, that doesn't sound right. And Proverbs says, a curse is a man or someone that justifies the wicked. How can the wicked people be justified? If the judge is perfect, if the judge is right and holy, the judge has to hold on to the law. And the law has put before us to say that anyone that breaks the law, the ways of sin is death. So the judge must hold on to this. So how are we receiving this legal standard before the law and we have sinned? The, the law says that for Creston, for Alina, Jacayla, Jared, and everyone in this room, for all of us stand before the law, we must be put to death. That's what the law says. The wages of sin is death. But we see something happen here. For all of mankind, was given the law of God. All mankind was given the law of God. They must obey God. God, right? His courtroom extends the entire world, the entire earth. God's courtroom is the entire earth. His courtroom extends all of it. And he's on his throne at the righteous judge. And he sees all the works of man. All the works of man, the man try to hide. To America, all over the world, Asia, God is the righteous judge, and He sees the works of man, and He has His gospel. And all mankind that ever existed deserves what God has for the lawbreakers. But it was only one. Christ came under the law. Christ came under the law. And for us, we have the law. We all in this room are became lawbreakers. Christ came and lived his word as a law keeper. So to be justified and be righteous is a person that kept the law. The law keeper is the only one that's righteous. The law keeper is the only one that's justified. But the lawbreakers are not justified. The lawbreakers are the ones that deserve punishment. Christ lived his perfect life. He receives this. And Christ received the justification. He had justified the family. Not only Christ. We receive justification as well. How does this work? 
it worked that a holy, righteous God, right, came into flesh. He lived the life that we didn't live. And that's why it tells us in 1 Corinthians, uh, it tells us in 5, 521, or 2 Corinthians 521, he made him to be sin, right? He made him to be sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who did this? The Father. The Father did this so we can be made right. The Father did this for us. So we can be standing right before the Father. That Christ became sin for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The same word righteous, I guess that justification. How do we become righteous? Because Christ became sin for us. Somebody, for God to be a holy, righteous God, he still has to deal with sin. How does God deal with our sin? He deals with our sin through Christ. Christ takes our sin upon himself. Your sins is, is imputed to him. And his righteousness is given to you. How do you become justified? Because what Christ has done. So the father get the gavel. He looks around. He sees Sky. He sees Shaquille. He sees Nication. He sees Alina. He looks around and said, he hits and said, justified. You're righteous. And y'all looking around like, hold on now. I mean, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. The gavel said, no, I said, you're righteous. You're righteous. You're like, how is this possible? Because somebody else has already took the punishment for you. Somebody else has done it for you. So how does this happen? How does God still remain to be holy? God still has to punish. So God punishes Jesus for you. Jesus get punished so you won't get punished. What happened on the third day? The father accepted the sacrifice. In the words of what Mark is doing right now, Christ raised up from the grave on the third day. He raises up letting him know the Father has accepted him as a sacrificial lamb for the people. The Father raised him up. And now the Son now is accepted by the Father. He's justified the Father, but also the people. Christ is called to justify by the Father. So family, how does all this happen? It's all through Christ. What Christ has done. But about 1,400 years after Paul, the word justified was used again to challenge the false teaching again of the Roman Catholic Church. R.C. Sproul said this, but no doctrinal dispute has ever been contested more fiercely or such long-term consequences as, from, as the one over justification. R.C. Sproul said the word that has, that has been argued the most out of everything, out of any type of doctrine. He said, not even the Trinity, talking about who Jesus is. And not even in a way of well, who the, the person of the Spirit. He said, the most controversial word through all the history, from the Apostle to 2023, even though he passed away a couple years ago. He's saying is this, that the most controversial word throughout all this history is this word justification. Paul's continue to say this. Historians often describe justification as the material cause of the Reformation. That is, it was a substantive and core issue of the debate. It was this doctrine that led to the worst rupture of Christendom ever experienced in the fragmentation of the church into thousands of individual denominations. Many denominations around the world because of this. How could a dispute over one doctrine caused so many splinters? Provoke so much hostilities. They get uh, sprouts. I think Martin. They get four things from the reformers. These four things why this word became so controversial. Justification by faith alone is essential to the gospel. Justification by faith alone is essential to the gospel. Number two. The gospel is essential to Christianity and to our salvation. Number three, the gospel is essential to the church being a true church. And number four, to reject justification by faith alone and to reject gospel and to fall as a church. You mentioned these four things. These four things were the heart 
of attacking what the Catholic Church was doing at the time. But these same things I just mentioned were the same issue that Paul in the first century church deal with. It is Judaizer. And even at 15, I almost split the church. They had a church council in at 15. They tried to get people to go back and be circumcised again. They tried to be saved over circumcision. <laughs> They're trying to be saved over circumcision. And the same issue that works cannot save us. Paul was arguing this. The Reformation was arguing this. And still to this day, family, we don't have to worry about all the denominations all around the city of Palm Bluff, all around our country. We can look at even our own heart on what justification does. Justification, if we get justification wrong, we get the gospel wrong. If we get the gospel wrong, we stay within self-pity and self-guilt. Luther, I think Sproul's going to say, Luther was not alone regarding justification by faith alone with such similar importance. John Calvin, likewise, attests crucial importance to it. The doctrine of justification is the principal ground on which religion must be supported, so it requires greater care and attention. That's from John Calvin. So I've given many examples on how the Reformation seen justification. They saw it as essential to the gospel. But let me explain why this is more important. I mean, this is so important. One person said, justification means that God declares us to be entirely guiltless. He regards us as if we have never sinned at all. He pronounced us to be just and to be righteous. Now you can see why the Catholic Church and Judaizer can be upset. When you find that you're justified, mankind can't control you now. Because it's in the Catholic Church and certain people, you do these certain things for us. You get a church money. You do these certain things. Now you have right standing. But justification said you already have right standing without doing all those things. Justification gives us freedom. Mankind don't want people to be free. Mankind want to rule over people. They want to control people. They want to manipulate people. But justification brings about freedom. Declares us to be entirely guiltless. Regardless as we have never seen at all, that we are free. Y'all know them people that always bring up your past. People always trying to bring up these certain things. Justification brings about freedom that everything about your past that nailed to the cross is given to Jesus. So somebody bringing it up, they're saying Jesus didn't nail it all to the cross. That means Jesus didn't do it all. But if Jesus really did it all, all of our sins is on the cross. We bear it no more. My brother goes on to say, a solo fide declared with faith alone declared that the grounds of our justification is solely the righteousness of Christ. It is a righteousness that is astronaut. It is apart from outside of us, not a part of us before faith. Luther says, he said, uh, R.C. Sproul quotes Luther here, that this comes from outside of us. Last thing I'm going to quote here, I want to mention one thing, it's going to be a little chunky, of, from A.W. Pink. Since God therefore justifies us through medi uh, medi uh, mediation of Christ, he acquits us, not by any omission of our own personal innocence, but by imputation of righteousness, so that we who are unrighteous in ourselves are considered as righteous in Christ. He quotes John Calvin. What is justification? He answers here. Justification is an act of God, free grace unto sinners, in which he pardoning all their sins, accepts and account their persons righteous in his sight. Not for anything wrought for them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. And he goes on to say, we thus define the gospel justification of a sinner is judicial, but gracious as a act, whereby the elect and believing sinner absolved from guilt of his sin and has right and eternal life of uh, a judge to him on account of the obedience of Christ received by faith. Marlo Jones said, I implore with the righteousness of Christ. His robe of righteousness cover all my sin 
future sins as well as past sin. And I keep going on all day, family. Justification lets us know we are right before God. There will never be a time in the future that will not be right again. We will always be right. I mean, unright again. We will always be right forevermore. So stick with me this morning. I, I want to point this back to what Paul, the context, what Paul is dealing with here. Paul is dealing with, for those believers that are struggling with this guilt. They are struggling with this eternal guilt every single day. Lord, I want to do right. I do wrong. But Paul gives us right here that you are justified. He gives us this at a crucial time because believers keep looking within themselves. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. Paul is trying to encourage you to look to Christ. Again, I want to bring about this courtroom again. Think about being in a courtroom and they take all your charges, all your charges. Then the judge gives you your sentence. Your sentence is punishing to death. But while you were doing your sentencing, waiting to be put to death, you apply for a retrial. Then the judge look over your evidence. Now say someone else has been charged for the crime you sentenced for. The judge hit the table the gavel, and now the person that actually they have took the ownership of the sentence, this person is put to death. What do we are now? We are set free from jail, from prison. We are set free. That's what justification gets said, that Christ sets us free. Christ bore our sins and all of our sins on the cross. So what's the purpose of all of this, what I'm saying? Bring to point number three. The reason why God justifies us. God did all this. What was the purpose for God doing all this? And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. We just talked about what justified means. But now, what is the ultimate purpose, y'all? What's the ultimate purpose of this? To simply put it, what did God will in our justification? Did God just save us just to save us? Well, God had a bigger plan than this. Purpose is found in the rest of verse 330, which we'll talk about less more about it next week. It's our glorification. The purpose of God conforming us to the image of his son for us to be glorified like Christ. That's where I tell us in Romans 8, 16 and 17. The spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And we're children of heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. Paul keep breaking these sections off of glorified. He keep telling us that the ultimate goal of this thing for us to be glorified. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is pointing us to the glory throughout this chapter. Because when we reach glory, we will, at that moment, be exactly what God designed us to be. We're not there yet, y'all. We're not exactly where God wants us to be at right now. God conforms us at the end of time. When God brings us to himself to give us our new body, we're going to be exactly what God wants us to be. But how do we get there? How he keeps us on track with this? The justification. For all that have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. God's glory is the standard. Y'all always quote that verse, right? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. One day, we're not going to fall short no more. We're going to be glorious, just as Christ is glorious. We missed the mark. But now Paul breaks the great news that now we are fulfilling God's standard. That we are not in sin anymore. But now we uphold God's glory with our lives. We have been justified. So we have even a hope for the glory of God to be revealed to us. So family, hard times are pointing us to God's glory. We will go further in discussing the glory again in the next couple of weeks. But right now, let us meditate and let us think about God has justified us. That Christ has forgave us from all of our sin and declares us righteous. So look deep in right now. Than yourself 
and all these things of the pornography, his anger, his marital issues, his issue dealing with pride, all these things you might be dealing with here this morning. What better word for you than justification? What better word than just as sweet as honey is the word justification? The family that God has already been hit. No one can condemn you anymore. No family, no friends, not even yourself. You cannot condemn yourself. God has already made you righteous. No matter what you may think, well, Chris, and I messed up yesterday. I'm not like all the holy folks of Christ redeemed. They got it all together. Everybody else in church got to get out of the together. If that's you this morning, you feel like that way, that you feel like you're a hypocrite right now, you feel like everybody else is living a life that you that you possibly living, but living for the Lord. For you this morning, hold on to these sweet words. You're justified. You're justified. No matter how many times you may hear or somebody might bring up something again, you did this again. I don't think you'll believe it. No matter how many times you might hear those things, hear this word right here. If you truly believe in Christ, you're truly justified. So why is Paul giving us this? Because we need to hear that this morning. We don't let the Reformation and Martin Luther and John Calvin take this word and make it about the history and about the Reformation having the history. Fam, let this make this thing happen personally. That Christ has already made us righteous. We ain't going back. Was that the new boy Caleb? Caleb Gordon. We ain't going back. I don't know how this song goes. Uh, NLE Chopper kind of word came up, but I, I, I'm going to stick with Caleb Gordon. Family, we are forever righteous despite what the flesh may say. The word I probably sent you all this week. Yeah. He did not let my soul be lost. Christ will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold you, family. I remember saying a couple words. One song that stood out to me was Christ is sure and steady anchor. In the fury of the storm, listen to this. Listen to this. In the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt, how many of y'all doubt? Right? When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn, and the suffering and the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor and shall not be removed. And he told us that Christ is sure and steady anchor. While the tempest rages on, when the temptation claimed the battle, and it seemed the night has won, which it had it, deeper still then goes the anchor, though I justly stand accused. I will hold fast to the anchor. I shall not be removed. And it goes on to say, Christ is sure and steady anchor. Though the floods of unbelief. How many of y'all struggle with unbelief? Right? The struggle of unbelief. The hopeless somehow. Oh, my soul. Now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my balance of assurance. See his love for forever prove. I will hold fast to steady anchor. And the last part of the stanza. Christ is sure and steady anchor. As we face the wave of death, when these trials give way to glory, as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life is secure, and calm will be the better for the storm that we endure. Christ is sure and steady. Christ is sure of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to anchor. He should never be removed. Family, hold to Christ this morning. No matter what you're facing this morning, hold to Christ. And Christ will never leave you. He has justified you. So fight the inner self that try to tell you all these things about yourself. Don't believe it. Believe what the word says about you. Not guilty. Not guilty. Don't worry about what Jerry say or Zoe say about you. Bob would say not guilty.
All right? Whatever Alina say about you, the Bible say not guilty. Let me, let me um, end with a couple of applications. Remember that we are forever justified by the Father and that we will always continue to be justified. Our failures, I don't know if you can get a tattoo. I don't know if you put it quoted somewhere or put it on your mirror. Our failures don't make us less justified. Y'all hear that one? That's a good one. Our failures doesn't make us less justified. That's a good one, isn't it? If y'all put it on Facebook, put my, I, I, that's, a, that's for me. Make sure you quote my name. Remember that justified be, doesn't mean suffering won't happen. Being justified doesn't mean suffering won't happen. You're going to go through things, y'all. But your trials still, go back to what I just said here, doesn't mean you're less justified when you go through trials. All we do is win, 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 no matter what. Y'all got me though. We win. As believers, we win in everything. We will never lose. We will never lose. We'll always win. Last thing. For those that are so much theology here, for those that love a lot of theology, be careful not to misuse justification just talking about history lesson. Just be careful on throwing out justify and justification. Be careful on just throwing these words out. But hold on to this word justify as you hold on to a pillow. Hold on to the word justify, letting us know that we are forever right before God. And let us not misuse justification now and say, okay, God justified me. Let me just go live any type of way. You remember? He called you as well. He foreknown you. So all of these things are going to add up with the justification. If you're justified, you have a heart of God. So all these things are going to add up. Let us not misuse it. But family, you are forever justified. Uh, let me pray for us as we end. Let me pray for us.